it's Monday the 20th of January, I'm Jackie Oatley and this is The Athletic Transfer Daily. Today's show, Charlie Eccleshare will talk all things Tottenham. He'll tell us what's happening behind the scenes and also the relationship between Mourinho and Levy. Leeds United Oracle Phil Hay will be with us on what their latest defeat means for their transfer dealings. The Manchester City correspondent Sam Lee will talk to us on Leroy Sane's future. He'll also tell us about the reports linking United target Bruno Fernandes with City. That'll go down well. Greg Evans will talk about the Villa and their rather desperate ongoing search for a striker. All that to come, but we're going to start with Charlie. It's wonderful to be in uh, the Athletic HQ and having you actually the other side of a desk. This is wonderful. Nice to see you. And you. Now, first of all, please do tell us about this relationship between Jose Mourinho and Daniel Levy, because in theory, they're not exactly two bedfellows we would have thought would be particularly suited to each other, given Mourinho's uh, impressive ability to acquire huge transfer funds from previous chairmen, and Daniel Levy not being known for being that chairman. Yeah, this is what's so fascinating about the relationship, the extent to which uh, each man had to compromise uh, when the initial agreement was made for Mourinho to join Spurs, because you know, I think a few years ago, you would have thought, wow, what a coup for Tottenham. Uh, whereas by the time he actually got the job, the dial had shifted slightly and it was, well, you know, Mourinho was slightly damaged goods after United. So is he now having to compromise? So th- my understanding was that it was made very clear to Mourinho that there wouldn't be huge amounts of money to spend, certainly not in January transfer window, which has been something Levy has tended to avoid like the plague. And he reportedly accepted that. Um, I've been told he, you know, still thinks that's okay. What is really interesting, though, is that obviously that arrangement, agreement, was made a couple of months ago before the Harry Kane injury happened. Now we're in a very different situation because Harry Kane is out for a few months, could be the whole season, and so Tottenham are in a pretty desperate position needing a striker. Now, Levy is not going to spend the money unless he thinks there's a deal worth doing. Um, We're hearing, you know, it could be a loan deal. That might be more realistic. And the problem is every club, every agent knows Tottenham are so desperate for a striker. So they can just up their price. They can make it more difficult for Tottenham. Um, So it's going to be very interesting to see whether they can actually get a deal done, uh, which obviously they haven't been able to do for the first couple of weeks of the window. And it looks like it might go to the wire for them to try and bring anyone in. Um, You know, we heard some names bandied around. Mourinho was interesting about this. He said on Friday he's had about 30 names kind of almost offered to the club by representatives, this sort of thing. He said a lot of the names we're hearing, the press are being put out there by agents and representatives. So it's, it's it's a really difficult one for Tottenham to get someone in who they can bring in on his own merits and who is a deal worth doing at this time because January is not a time when you can get a lot of value and that's why Levy has barely spent in this window before. You look at it over the last five years. Deli Alli came in in 2015, but he was loaned straight away back to MK Dons and then you had Lucas Moura a couple of years ago. That's pretty much it. So this is not an area that Levy really wants to go down, but it looks like he's going to have to. But how have Tottenham, such a big club, fabulous stadium, fabulous training facility, managed to get themselves in a position whereby a fully predictable injury, frankly, to Harry Kane, because any player can get injured at any time, has left them desperate? Well, this is the, this is the kind of million-dollar question. And I think Spurs had a challenge because when you've got someone like Harry Kane, who is the talisman, the England captain, the star striker, and the way they've always played or tended to play has been with one up front. 
So then you're asking someone to play almost like a sub-keeper kind of role, you know, as a backup striker. And, and I think they did this really well last season with Llorente. He was about the upper level you can get for someone who's going to come and essentially do that role. Um, he's now gone and they didn't replace him. And that was a massive oversight. And I think the frustration that a lot of fans feel is, is what you've just outlined. That This was not a huge surprise. Kane is not someone who has you know, avoided injury in the past. He had, he's had problems with his ankles before. This is a different injury, but even so, you know, it's not like this is a situation they couldn't have foreseen. And I think what a lot of people feel is, well, why not bring in someone in the kind of Son Heung-min, Lucas Moura mold, who can play as an attacking forward or as a number 10, but can also play as a striker so that if and when Kane gets injured, you've got more of a replacement. Another sort of sub-issue to that is some would feel that, well, Pochettino was able to make this work when Kane was out and he played Son up front and they got to the Champions League final and they were able to play in a slightly different way. The problem is Mourinho feels that that kind of orthodox number nine is so fundamental to the way he plays. He, he, he almost feels like it's impossible to play without that. And he said that a few times. And, you know, he said we don't have any strikers in the squad. And, you know, I think some people think, well, what about Lucas? What about Son? Uh, but he doesn't view them in that way. So he is desperate to bring someone in. And it's, you know, it's just the extent to which Levy is going to back him there. But he will not pay more than he thinks someone's worth. So, yeah, where this ends, it's going to be fascinating to see. It is. So perhaps a lack of foresight and a lack of activity on that foresight. It's interesting that the fans and everyone else could see this coming. Mm-hmm. And yet the powers that be at the club couldn't. We, well, while we're talking about strikers, is there any sort of, there are rumours, of course, anything you can tell us on a potential replacement? Yeah, I mean, last week, Zilouis, uh Porto striker, was a name that was bandied around. Uh, my intelligence was that that was never really particularly serious and that's been borne out because I don't think that's gone any further. Piatek is still, the AC Milan striker is still sort of in the mix. But um, again, my understanding was that Milan wanted around 30 million for him, which was what they paid Genoa last year. They wanted to recoup that. Spurs didn't want to go anywhere near that. So you're then talking about a huge compromise on one or both sides. Um other than that, you know, we've heard Edson Cavani uh, telling PSG that he wants to leave. Again, I'd be amazed if his wages were something Tottenham were willing to pay, especially at his age. I think he's 32, 33. So that to me doesn't look like a very Tottenham Levy sort of deal. Um, so, you know, then you're looking, are they going to surprise us? But the problem is in January, you are to a degree limited to strikers that other teams don't really want to keep, you know, because someone like Danny Ings, I think, would be a, a brilliant signing. But why on earth would Southampton sell him given the season he's had? You know, you might be able to do a deal like that in the summer if maybe he hadn't had such a great season and you could buy someone who you thought was was going to become great. But no chance you get someone like that. So they're, they're get, they are working tirelessly. You know, they are trying extremely hard but as I said the challenge is when you're getting offered like 30 names is sort of sifting through that and being like well who who here actually would add us any value and who is just an agent a representative trying to get a move for their player. Was Olivier Giroud ever a realistic contender given his experience and and frankly his ability as well? Complete I mean Giroud um, we spoke about this uh, Michael Cox and I on the Zonal Marking podcast that actually he fits that paradigm really well, that kind of Urente, um, you know, could do that backup striker, sub-keeper kind of thing that I'm describing really well. I never heard him 
you know, being talked about in any serious way with Tottenham. Um, I mean, there's a lot of baggage there. You know, not only he, they would have to sign him from Chelsea, Chelsea and Tottenham. Uh, not only is there a rivalry, you know, amongst supporters, but there's a quite a real rivalry given the way that Willian was signed uh, by Chelsea, which is now, I think, seven years ago. But that those wounds are still pretty raw. So doing a deal between those clubs would be tricky. Throw in also the fact he's a former Arsenal striker uh, and there'd be a lot of politics <laughs> involved. It would, but Spurs wouldn't mind that if they bagged themselves an excellent striker. I mean, I was told uh, last week that it was a done deal that he was going to Inter Milan on loan, but with a view to uh, a permanent move being um, in the contract already. So it sounds like it's a done deal, even though Aston Villa are trying everything to try and uh, sign him. It, it, but it does seem odd as well. We're talking about it being like a sub-keeper role at Tottenham, understudy to Harry Kane. But it doesn't mean that Harry Kane has to start every week. If they get someone decent, a quality striker, then it gives you alternatives. So you don't have to flog Harry Kane. And then you're minimising his chances of picking up a serious hamstring injury, which he has. Well, and this is a really important point because he's played 90 minutes, like week in, week out. You know, you look at games, both for England and for Tottenham, where... You know, even games they've had sewn up, he'll still stay on for the full 90. And it is kind of baffling, you know, and as you said, you don't need to do that. I think, you know, he is someone who he does want to play every week. He's got... A- but this is so misleading, isn't it? When we keep hearing, but Harry Kane wants to play every week. How on earth is that a reason for him to actually play every week? We all know that players are not the best decision makers when it comes to their well-being. When it comes to head injuries, for example, they're the last people who should be making decisions. Yeah, it's true. It's just, you know, you need to have a manager and a system in place and a structure in place that empowers the coach to do that. I mean, you look at someone like uh, Leo Messi at Barcelona. He, again, is someone who has had injuries and you think, I'm always amazed the fact that he's playing pretty much every game. But it, you know, that's sort of been accepted, an accepted practice when it really shouldn't be. And Kane, yeah, he should be managed more carefully. Is this going to be something they'll learn from going forward you feel it has to be and I worry for other players you know I look at some of the players who have played so much football you look at someone like Son Heung Min I know he's been suspended a couple of times but other than that he's playing like every week and you just fear there's going to be even less rotation at the moment for Spurs with Kane out and you know who's going to be next yeah that's happened with Harry Kane you look at Marcus Rashford at Manchester United yeah. and these players playing every Completely. minute and now look what's happened to them but anyway we have to move on because gosh there's loads to talk to you about and you've got a Spurs podcast to record after this busy day <laughs> Yeah, just quickly on Ericsson, fans booing him. It's a very unsatisfactory situation, isn't it? Who's doing is it? Is it Levy's fault? Is it Mourinho's fault for playing him when he wants to move? Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting one. I, I'd say the, the seeds of this were sown probably a year or two ago when Ericsson really should have been sold then. You look at how Liverpool sold Coutinho, got a huge fee for him. Now, I don't think Spurs could have got quite that much, but they could have sold him for decent money uh, and he could have left on better terms. The, the problem has been Tottenham have had this issue with not really knowing when to sell players and their value depreciating, they're stagnating a little bit. So we got to this really unsatisfactory point where come the summer just gone, he had a year left on his contract. I've been told the value that Levy and Spurs were putting on him was way higher than what clubs are willing to pay, especially for a player with a year left on his contract. It was totally unrealistic. So he was basically, there was no way for him to go at that point. Fast forward six months to now, whose fault is it? I think it's a result of those longer term factors. And, you know, I have some sympathy with Mourinho still playing him because he is still a Tottenham player. 
I don't think his performances have been as bad as has been made out. Liverpool, he was poor. Mourinho said that. I accept that. But I don't think he's been terrible. And actually, he's come on, created quite a lot of chances, set up some goals. Uh, he's still a really good player. He's just not what he was. But it, I think a lot of fans want him in the reserves. They don't. They just want shot of a player who wants to leave. I think to uh, cheer those fans up, they will be put out of their misery this month. I think a deal will happen into a kind of crawling towards Tottenham's valuation uh, and a deal will probably be struck. It may go down to the wire this month, uh, but it, but it's a sad end for someone who we shouldn't forget has been an unbelievably good player for them. One of the best in this, in that kind of Pochettino peak period. Um, and I'm sure over time that will be remembered, but yeah, seeing him get booed as he came off against Liverpool, I, I just thought it was quite sad. And I, and I get it. I know that, you know, it's never nice when you've got a player who you know wants to go. But um, yeah, pretty unedifying end for what's been such a great Spurs career. Charlie Eccleshare, thank you very much. Just tell us before you nip off to do your other podcast, what's it called and when can we hear it? Yes. Uh, so this is the View from the Lane podcast featuring me, Jack Pitbrook and James Moore. We record every Monday uh, and it goes out first thing on a Tuesday, Monday, talking all things Tottenham, Mourinho, Levy, all the fun of Spurs. So yeah, check that one out. There's a lot of fun to be had. Thank you, Charlie. Thank you. Not an awful lot going on at Manchester City this month, as expected. The Leroy Sane situation, as we pretty much know by now, is probably going to be resolved in the summer. No change in that. He still wants to go to Bayern Munich. Some links this morning with City and Bruno Fernandes at Sporting. Obviously, Fernandes linked with Manchester United, but I'm reliably informed there's nothing in that. You know, City aren't looking for him, and certainly not now anyway. The only other thing, I suppose, is Ian Carlo Paveda, the young forward. He's been at Leeds, he's been in Italy looking at some clubs. He's basically weighing up his next move because his contract's up at City at the end of this season and he won't be getting a new one. So yeah, he's looking for the next step in his career. Greg Evans here and Aston Villa are still trying to get two new strikers into the club. Ali Samata is due to complete his move uh, in the next 24 hours or so. Just waiting on the final paperwork to get that deal done. Another striker still on the, on the radar. Villa are looking at a number of options and uh, will hopefully be trying to get another one in at some point before the deadline. Lovra Kalinic, the uh, fourth choice goalkeeper now at Aston Villa, is potentially on his way uh, out of the club as well. Toulouse in front are key. So let's change tack now to one of the enormous clubs, possibly the most enormous club in the championship. Never a dull moment at Leeds United. So let's speak to their oracle, as I described him earlier, Phil Hay. Hi, Phil. Hello, guys. So now one victory in the last seven games in the league. That rather unfortunate defeat at QPR, given the handball. But anyway, that still stands. What does that do now for their desperation in the transfer market? I think it focuses attention, but I don't think, even despite the form and despite the result of the weekend, that it will significantly change what the club are looking for or, or what Bielsa is asking for. It It is still heavily weighted on another centre-forward. That was the, the thing that Bielsa wanted at the start of the window when he, he realised that Eddie Nketiah was going back to Arsenal. It's the thing he's wanted all the way through the first three weeks of it, and it's the thing that he absolutely needs before the, the window closes. I, I think there are others around him, um, people observing like, like me, who think that another centre-mid would do 
do no harm and, and that there's an issue at left back which really is starting to feel like it needs to be addressed by signing signing somebody else and bringing somebody in from, from the outside but they, they certainly won't look for a left back in, in what's left of the window I think they're still hopeful that Adam Forshaw can, can get himself fit from this groin injury that's been bothering him for a, about four months now and, and get himself back in the picture for what's left of the season but there is no argument about um, about the need for a striker and another centre forward to, to cover Patrick Bamford and Bamford had another of those days at QPR on Saturday missed a penalty missed a big chance in the first half it's it feeds back to the big problem Leeds have which is that they they do not take enough of the chances and they do not kill teams when they're in positions to kill them um so so everything is on that and and as it stands it is still Che Adams as as first choice um option for Bielsa is still the priority target despite the fact that Southampton and, and Ralph Hasenhuttle in particular have been so resistant to what Leeds are suggesting for Adams what they're offering for Adams and and what they want to do the fact that they haven't given that one up makes you think that, that there is more going on in the background than, than anybody realises. But we are getting to crunch point now and, and they're either going to have to get this one done or move on very quickly. Other than Otherwise, they're, they're risking a repeat of the Dan James situation last season, which sees them get to you know, the back end of the window with nothing in place. Yeah, Hasenhuttle's been saying for weeks in his press conferences, Shea Adams not going anywhere. So that's an interesting one, isn't it? That they're still hanging their hat on that. But Bielsa said in his press conference the other day that... We haven't replaced Nketiah. He didn't really play Nketiah. Why did they sign him if he didn't fit into the way he wanted to play? No, he didn't play him regularly and he and he didn't start him until the back end of December, you know, literally the, the turn of the year, at which point Arsenal were already decided that, that they were going to recall him and, and Nketiah was supportive of that decision. He wanted to go back and, and, and as it turns out, will be part of Arsenal's squad for the second half of the season. I think they probably underestimated um, how good or, or overestimated how good uh, Nketiah would be as a lone centre-forward. I mean, that is the system that Bielsa plays. He, he almost never switches to two up front, which I think is probably the system that, that suits Nketiah best. Uh, and, and we found that in the games where Nketiah started, away at Birmingham and, and away at West Brom, he wasn't much of a replacement for Patrick Bamford in terms of um, the way Bielsa wants his his lone striker to play. He, he needs his he needs his forward to be physical. He needs him to run the channels. He needs him to work centre backs. And uh, Nketiah is all about the finishing, about the movement in the box. And and he is, to my mind, he is on a different level to Bamford in that sense. He is a better finisher and he is more of a poacher. But he starts to look like a bit of a luxury player and he, and he starts to look like the sort of player that actually top-level teams don't really use anymore. You, you find very few sides who, who go for a, a front two and, and I think that's what he needs to accommodate him properly. So there's huge potential there. There's there's masses of ability and I think Leeds went after him for the right reasons. But there was a sense as you got to the end of December that actually for all that ability and all that talent and and, and all the, the value in signing a player like that, he just didn't fit under BLC. He didn't fit the system he didn't fit the style of play. And ultimately, it makes sense to move on and, and look for somebody else. The reality is, though, that they've had three weeks now with, without any backup for, for Bamford and they badly need somebody through the door. And so what are you hearing in terms of potential replacements? We know about the Shea Adams situation. Leeds United fans are absolutely desperate. I'm sure your Twitter timeline is full of people going, who are we signing, who are we signing, who are we signing? It is. I mean, The Adams situation is interesting because I, I very much get the impression that there's a difference of opinion between Hassan Huttle and certain people on the Southampton board. I'm told that that people in the hierarchy are open to the idea of Adams going for a loan fee with a permanent obligation in the summer. And I know that Adams himself is very keen on the move, but you can understand Hassan Huttle's point of view. He is 
fairly light on on forwards and and light on attacking players. They've been in decent form recently. They they lost at the weekend, um, but they they're on a little bit of a roll and and they've kind of got themselves out of the trouble which seemed to be seemed to be swallowing them at, at one point. Certainly when they they got hammered by Leicester, so he's resistant to that, and I can see why. And and as I say, they they play tomorrow at Crystal Palace. I would have thought in the twenty four forty eight hours after that game, Leeds are going to have to have an answer one way or the other on this. It's either going to have to be yay or nay, and and if it is no, they'll they'll move on. If it's yes, they'll they'll get it done as soon as they can. And they they look. They've inquired about Andre Gray down at Watford. Um, we're initially told no about him, but Watford seem to have softened their stance and, and I think would now be open to, to loan offers for him. Um, and it's players of that ilk that, that they're looking at, players who have done it at this level before, who who can be relied on to do it, who are going to cost a loan fee rather than a permanent um, transfer fee up front, but who would almost certainly need an obligation in the summer. Leeds are prepared to commit to that. They're prepared to put up a, a seven-figure loan fee at this stage. And that's what they've got to pull off. It's not that there aren't options out there, it's just that they're running out of time now and they're going to have to get this done. What about Lyle Taylor at Charlton? Because he clearly wants to go and he's available and can score goals at this level. He's not a name that's come up actually, although again, I, I can see the appeal in him. He is somebody that scores at this level. It does look like he's available or, or at least there's a, a deal to be done there. But all the names that have been mentioned, certainly everybody that, that's been spoken about, it, it's been more established and more recognisable names than his. You know, your, your Shea Adams, your, your Andre Gray's. A bit of chatter about Dwight Gale up at Newcastle, but unfortunately injured again, and I don't think anybody will take him on at this stage because it, it's probably going to be several weeks before he's able to play, and, and the impact, certainly at Ellen Road, needs to be fairly fairly immediate. So we wait to see really which way this is going to go, and, and as I say, the, the fact that they are hanging in for Adams makes you think that they must be more encouraged by that one than, than the circumstances suggest they should be. Um, there evidently is the, the possibility of some wriggle room down there and, and the possibility that Southampton will blink, but they are taking a risk now they've got less than two weeks to go and I mean the club are saying quite openly themselves they cannot get into another Daniel James situation where they've got all their eggs in a basket which ultimately isn't going to deliver for them. Okay thank you so much Phil and people who are desperate to hear more of your dulcet Scottish tones where do they need to go? Uh, they can catch us on the Phil Hayes Show, which um, is a podcast um, in association with the Square Ball, the, the fanzine lads uh, who everybody will know well around here. Uh, once a week, we'll be recording Thursday this week, so look out for the latest edition. Thanks, Phil. Look forward to hearing that one. The Athletic, by the way, have also just launched nine brand new podcasts on the platform. So check out the Athletic app for more details. Or you can search iTunes or your other regular podcast providers. You don't actually need to be a subscriber to listen to any of our audio. It is all free. But if you do wish to subscribe, then make sure you quote UK Pod if you want to receive a 40% discount on that. One of the new pods, by the way, it's a rather good one. We haven't recorded it yet, but I hope it's going to be very good. It's called The Molyneux View. All things Wolverhampton Wanderers will be talked about there with our correspondent Tim Spears and myself. And that's coming out every Tuesday morning. I'll be back tomorrow with the next instalment of the Athletic Transfer Daily. See you then. Mm-hmm.